Well, good morning. My name is Casey Cease, and I have the joy of serving as a lead pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Christ Community Church. I watched that video, um, the first draft of it, in the airport uh, in Atlanta, and I was, uh, I was nearly a sobering mess. Uh, sobering is not a word. Slobbery, sobbing mess. There we go. Um, just because... Um, I know this, what Paul's experience has been has not yet been all of your experience, but that's one of the ways that we want you to know that's where we're going. Um, because Jesus says in John 13, 35, that they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And we are not, we're not making an idol out of community. We're trying to obey God by entering into this awkward thing called biblical community and fighting for it and striving towards it and seeing lives transformed through it. And so um, as we launch this three-week series talking about the vision of Christ Community Church, I want you to know that, um, that, that this is an important season for us to determine and to communicate who we are, why we are this way, and if you're still on board to move forward. Uh, I, I, as I've been praying the last few weeks preparing for this. Um, I, the Lord has just affirmed his calling in my life here at Christ Community Church as the pastor and as the preacher here, and I have been uh, overwhelmed by his grace, and I have been battling impatience because I've been so excited about launching this series because it's such an important time for us here. Um, for those of you that don't know me, when I was 17 years old, I was in a car crash that resulted in the death of my friend, John. Um, I did not, uh, at that point, I was not yet a believer in Jesus. I'd gone to church and done some religious stuff, but I didn't know Jesus. And so my life was really marked by anxiety and depression and fear and people pleasing, all these different things. And it all came crashing down on July 5th, 1995. And over the course of the next several months, God began to really uh, show himself to me through his people and through his word. And at the age of 17, Jesus Christ saved me. I thought that Jesus saved me so that I could go be a wealthy lawyer and be very generous to everybody else around me, because after all, doesn't God want me to be rich? Amen? No, he doesn't. So, I mean, he might, but that wasn't the path. I thought that that was the path that I would be on, but um, so uh, in his cosmic and divine sovereign humor, um, he led me towards the path of speaking to teenagers and ultimately becoming a youth minister marrying my high school sweetheart Stephanie, and entering into the gospel ministry. I've had the privilege of speaking around the country in different parts of the world. I've, sp I've spoken to crowds of like four, and I've spoken to crowds of over 20,000 people sharing the gospel, and I, I want nothing more than to give myself to what we're doing here and where we're going here. And I've seen a lot of things, and I've seen a lot of church, and I've done a lot of church, and I've been in several churches, and I know church can be difficult. And there's many times where we want to disengage church if we forget the why of church. And so as I was sitting, speaking to the largest crowd I've ever spoken to in a trailer praying, Lecrae was in the trailer next to me, Toby Mack and Leland were outside playing stickball. If you don't know who they are, you're okay. Um, but but I, at that place, I was serving as a community pastor at a church plant in Burnham, Texas, and it was there that the Lord said, now's the season that I'm preparing for you to start taking a step of faith and planting a church. And so that's where then he led us to the Woodlands area. We began gathering people, moved out here, uh, and uh, we, we had our first uh, launch team that we thought really pretty much collapsed a month before we were going to launch our public service. And so we, um, we pulled back a little bit, started meeting back in our apartment. Eventually, our apartment group grew where we had to move to two locations, two different apartments, one for kids, 
one for our little church gathering, and we began praying and asking the Lord to grow his little church. And in April of 2011, we launched Christ Community Church at Bear Branch Elementary School down 1488. Um, one of the funny things about planting C3 Magnolia or Christ Community Church of Magnolia is um, we thought we would be in Magnolia. Apparently, though, there's old Magnolia and new Magnolia. And we're not in old Magnolia, and so C3 Magnolia confuses people significantly. So we go C3.church, C3, Christ Community Church Magnolia. We're technically in new Magnolia, but the old Magnolia don't own us and the Woodlands don't want us, so what do we do? <laughs> Pray for God's supernatural provision. And uh, I want you to know that you all are an answer to prayer. Um, as we were praying beginning in 2009 for, for the Lord to plant and build his church, you are here. And we've had ups and downs. We've been at Mitchell Intermediate School, and then we had this opportunity here, Legacy, open up for us. And uh, the Lord has been very kind in growing his church. We've grown, and then we've declined, and then we've grown, and then we've declined. Um, but ultimately, through his providential care, we have planted two other churches. We've partnered with a third church plant in the Cyprus area, and then we give 10% of our um, gross giving each year away to church planting and missions. And so um, that's, that's something that's very much in our DNA. We want to be a church planting church. We want to raise up other churches uh, and send them out. Uh, one thing that was very clear for me early on was that I did not want to plant a worship service wherein I was the main attraction and people would gather around to watch me. That is not church, that's a spectacle. And I don't want to be a part of a spectacle. I want to be a part of the church. It's my heart to plant the gospel and allow Jesus to build his congregation and his church. And so that's been very tempting at times to leverage some things and to grow some things. But ultimately, the Lord has been bringing together a body of believers. Um, in the spring, we met with Intentional Churches, which is a consulting firm that helps draw out your vision and mission and direction and things like that. And um, they began helping us to, to see some things going on in our church. Over 36% of our church are fifth grade and younger. Um, typically, churches that are healthy and growing have 12th grade and younger at 25% of their congregation. Ours is 36% of the congregation. Fifth grade and younger. Y'all like making babies. <laughs> Glory to God. Uh, but uh, that, that lets into some adjustments. And so we brought Wendy, uh, Wendy Galloway on as our C3 Kids um, director, and we began thinking through, okay, what are our next steps in growth and ministry here at Christ Community Church? And then they, one of the things they had us do was put together a vision statement. Where are we going in the next few years? Our mission statement is we exist to glorify God by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing and multiplying. That's why we do what we do. That's why we gather. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we teach your children the gospel. That's why we talk about the gospel and do life together and pray with each other in community groups so that we are being discipled, mutually discipling each other so that we can go and make disciples, not of each other, but of Jesus Christ. And through that, we believe as people grow in their faith in Jesus and begin to become comfortable in communicating the good news of the gospel to friends and family, that new disciples will be made by the power of God, and we will get to serve the joyful, uh, as a, in the joyful opportunity of being a midwife in that process. But we still need a vision. What, okay, well, great. Where, where are we going? And so then I came up with our core values years ago. And I was like, okay, intentional churches, here's our core values. Worship. We believe that all of life is worship. That everything we do is oriented towards something or someone. The lens by which we view this world and engage and interact with it is worship. It's an expression of what we value and what we believe and what we hope in. And there are consequences to that worship. And the primary aim of the gospel is to help realign people whose worship is off. 
misdirected and misguided. That Christ Jesus ultimately came to restore those whose worship is in other things or themselves to redirect them to the proper worship of their Father in heaven through His life, His death, His resurrection. And so worship isn't just coming and singing songs. In fact, worship is the way that we orient our lives. Who or what we worship is greatly seen by how we order our time, spend our money, and how we treat other people. That's worship. We also believe that as we worship God, that we will grow, that there's a consequential growth happening as we are exposed to the holy God of the universe who created all things and made himself known to us. As we orient ourselves around the word of God, that he begins to transform us by the spirit of God to become more like him. But we believe that God created in community the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and from community He created community, but sin has made community broken and difficult. It went from being relational to transactional, and we'll unpack that a little bit more in a little bit. But that as we do life together, we don't become inwardly focused and inwardly taking, but rather that inward cultivation leads us to be outwardly focused, to be a people on mission, to see those who are far from God reconnected to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, beginning in our local area and spreading throughout the world. But still, it's not a vision statement. The vision statement is what are we going to give ourselves to to fulfill these things? And so... uh, Pastor Rick Bowers, one of our elders, and myself worked on creating a vision statement that was a little over a page long. And they're like, great, condense that down into one sentence so that our people can own that. Awesome. So here's our vision moving forward. And this can be a DTR, determine the relationship. I learned that from teenagers. This is what we're going to give ourselves to and pour ourselves out towards. We are about making disciples in authentic community. We're going to be making disciples in authentic community. Paul's testimony is an example of authentic community, but I know not all of you have had that experience here yet. And so that's not yet where we are, but that is where we're fighting to go. That's what we're working towards. In a community and culture that is uh, impoverished relationally, we want to engage in authentic community that circles around the good news of Jesus Christ and then cultivates that passion and it overflows. And so I want to take you to Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 12 too. You've heard me preach on this before. I'm not being lazy. I want to reorient us towards right worship that has consequence. If we don't begin with the gospel, and if we don't begin orienting ourselves around God, if we don't begin positioning ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, then what we're doing is really just modifying behavior and acting nicer and not really being changed. The promise of the gospel is transformation, not just conformity. And guess what? We all need to be changed. We all need to not stay where we are. We all need to be urged and pressed towards God who promises to not leave us the same. And so after 11 chapters of the Apostle Paul pouring out the good news of the gospel, laying out what is that good news, talking about God's creation and redemption of a sinful human race, that he gave his only son Jesus, that the Jewish people had a special place for God because they had the truth of God. But even though they had the truth of God, they denied the seriousness and the holiness of God and have gone their own way. 
that God is right even in his judgment against us, yet faith makes us right again with God. Faith has always been the vehicle by which we can be reconnected with God before Christ came to fulfill the promise and after he fulfilled the promises. Trusting in, hoping in God's means for us to be made right with him is the vehicle in hope that we have to be made right with God. That while we continue to strive and we continue to struggle as we continue to fail and falter, that God promises that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He brings this justification, this making right before himself through the hope and promise of his son Jesus Christ. That he still has the sovereign right, which means that he is governing over all things that he has created, which are all things, and has a right to do as he pleases with all things, and that he maintains faithful to the promises he's made through his son, Jesus Christ. That there is hope for those who place their hope in Christ, that in order for you to be saved, which means to be forgiven of your sins and brought out of the consequence of your sin into a right relationship with God, there is one way to have that take place, and that is through trusting, going all in on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's true for the Jewish person and for the non-Jewish person. And that God in His kindness is engrafting us into the vine of Christ, that He is our ultimate hope. And Paul lays this out in the first 11 chapters and then comes to a place of response, of worship. We naturally worship what we're responding to and placing our hope in. Worship is a response, not just an endeavor. Worship is a response to who God is. Worship is an act of faith, hoping in that which we cannot yet see, what we don't necessarily feel. Taking that step and giving that expression both together and through our lives is worship. And so Paul picks up in verse 33, going to this place of worship. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. When was the last time you were brought to a place of being overwhelmed by the nature and the goodness and the faithfulness of God? See, many times, brothers and sisters in faith, we get to a place where we grow tired or bored of God's faithfulness. Now, we won't say that necessarily. But there comes a place where we hear the gospel of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his future return, and our soul begins yawning. Faith is a gift from God, but an opportunity for us to respond to God and hope in God. And hoping in God, even when we don't feel that hope, is worship. Paul begins by speaking of the immeasurability, the, the depths and the widths and the value and the abundance of God's wisdom and knowledge. Not only does God know all things, God knows how to rightly use all things at the right time. Knowledge is what we know. Wisdom is the ability to use what we know in the right way at the right time. That's why by the age of seven, a Hebrew boy would have the book of Proverbs fully memorized so that he could have wisdom, that that's the, the software by which this life is being processed through, that this understanding of wisdom would be the, the foundation of who God is and how God has called us to live. The problem is our culture no longer delineates between wise and foolish. We make it 
relative based upon what we feel or how we view it or what we do. But see, God's very clear on what is wise and what is unwise, what is foolish. Your primary issue of your child who's walking in disobedience is a lack of faith and a lack of wisdom. Rebellion is rooted in worship going the wrong direction and a lack of wisdom or exercising that wisdom to be able to rightly worship God. Paul's talking about, hey, the wisdom and knowledge of God, we can, we can trust in Him. When our life is falling apart, when things don't seem to be going our way, when things aren't making sense, the good news for you is He knows more than you, and He knows how to use what He knows. And so as we respond and think on the complexities of God, rather than cultivating skepticism and doubt, it should bring comfort and security and worship that we can lean into the truth of who God is and the consequence of who He is and all that He has accomplished, both in time and in space. There are times that God allows or causes things that do not make sense to us. The challenge for us is that when we begin to want to know what God knows, rather than being content to know God as He's made Himself known, we find ourselves empty and depressed and lower. Why? Because we are trying to make ourselves equal to God. That was never the intent. It doesn't mean we check our mind out and put it away and don't think. It doesn't mean we don't ask questions. It doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with doubt. What it does mean, though, is we get to a place where we increasingly trust that God is who He says He is and that He will and has and will continue to accomplish all that He has promised to do. As a people gathering around this hope and this treasure that is Jesus Christ, we are then able to become disciples who are worshiping out of response of who God is rather than creating this emotion of worship to try to make up a God. Because the consequence of getting these emotions and getting these feelings to try to worship and make God true, we end up creating a God in our own image rather than coming and aligning ourselves under the image of God. And we miss our identity and therefore we miss our focus of worship. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. Who has been his counselor? No one. You see people on TV acting crazy, telling God what to do, how he's supposed to, because they're using a superstitious incantation, that's a word, incantation to get God to, to act like a holy slot machine. When really, that's not the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is rightly aligning ourselves under the trust and authority of Jesus. He's our only hope. That these things can't and won't happen without God's care and provision. And that when things happen, aligning ourselves in worship to who God is and thanking Him for what He has accomplished. Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Guess what? Nobody. Your obedience to God is a gift to you more than it is a gift to God. Let me say that again. Your obedience to God is more a gift for yourself than it is a gift to God. You're doing what He has created you to do that sin makes it difficult for you to do. And so many of us, we start keeping this broken economy with God that we have to, if we do more good for God, then God owes us something. God does owe us something. It's called hell. He owes us complete Eternal separation. And we don't like talking about that because it's not warm and fuzzy. 
But here's what I know is in the depth of my depression until someone gave me the full scope of the promise of the gospel that because of our sin we're dead and we're separated from God and we're deserving of God's punishment. In that moment, not when we were lovable and worked harder and got our stuff together, but when we were broken like that, that's when Christ Jesus came in and lived a perfect life. Enduring abuse and neglect and rejection and then ultimate brutality and death as our substitute. Not when we got our act together, but when we were absolutely worthless. That's when the word says, at just the right time, Christ Jesus died for us. At just the right time, he entered in and absorbed that punishment so that we no longer are objects of punishment, but great objects and trophies of grace. When we begin to understand that for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to Him be glory forever. Amen. We begin to experience the liberation from ourselves and selfishness is no longer our primary motive, but rather gratitude. And our worship and our serving and our giving and our sacrifice is no longer based out of this drudgery of obligation but of this joyful gratitude that we can sacrifice because we're following one who has sacrificed far greater. And that we can be alone because we understand that Christ paid a way for us to never be alone again. And that we can endure hard things because Christ endured the hardest thing. And that we can press through and that we can be different This is the aim of discipleship, growing in ability and orientation around right worship of God, having our minds transformed. Let's go on to verse 1 of chapter 12. So in view of all of this, in view of the first 11 chapters, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, semicolon, not period. This is the one moment I'm going to be a Greek geek. It's about all I got, so enjoy it. Semicolon. So these thoughts are in separate verse 1 and 2. The verse numbers were added later to bring understanding for the purpose of memorization, not for the the understanding of grammatical flow. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In view of who God is, in view of all that God has done, here is what is required. Here is your response. Everything. Your whole life. A living sacrifice, the walking dead, living in obedience to God and saying, God, all of my life, my thoughts, my life, my possessions, my wealth, all of these things, Father, that is what you are worth. You're worth so much more. And this is one of the scariest parts of this transformation of beginning to understand. But if we slow down and really take a look at our lives, even those of you that may have your life pretty much together pretty well, Like you're capable and you're smart and you're intelligent and you make good decisions. You're never going to match the perfection of God and that is His standard. And the challenge is, I think most of us exhaust ourselves, even those of us who trust in Jesus, believing that Jesus serves as some sort of training wheels that get us started, but that He's not enough to see us to completion. 
This idea of worship and changing of mind and not being conformed is more about positioning than it is about endeavoring. It's more about positioning than it is just working hard towards those things. Yes, there are scriptures that say work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but that's under the umbrella of all that God has already done and promised for us. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice is not shutting yourself off from the world, but living for much different reasons and purposes. In our culture, it's, this is difficult. And while we're free to do it, we may face some scrutiny and be called certain things, but we're capable people. We've got money. We've got stuff. We've got wealth. We've got kids. And I don't know about you. I have a tendency towards atheism when it comes to my kids that I trust God except with my child's future. That's a battle for me. Right? She's good. My, my kids are good and everything else, but they have to have the right education at the right time, at the right place, do just the right amount of activities. Not too many activities, not too little activities, but do the right activities. And she better do it. Does she know that cuss word yet? Does she, she knows that cuss word. Does she say it when I'm not around? We have, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. Stop talking about me. I was talking about Abby, by the way, my five-year-old, so. Really, as parents, I mean, helping our children to love God with all they are and love their neighbors as they love themselves and to make disciples as they go, if you're endeavoring towards those things, you're being faithful. This response of worship, this living sacrifice, the gauge you can know of success in those things is, am I being faithful? Am I being faithful to God? Am I walking in forgiveness? Am I sacrificing, not because the people around me deserve it, but because God has done so first? And from those places and those positions, we're able then to worship rightly. But notice the effect of this worship, this sacrificial, life-giving, life-changing worship. Through that, he urges us, therefore, do not be conformed to this world. And worldliness manifests in many different ways. It's very easy to tell someone they're being worldly if they're doing the obvious bad stuff, if you will. Getting drunk or high all the time, they're not paying their taxes. I know we're several libertarians here, so relax. You're laughing in the inside if you're not out loud. I know you. Eating too much, drinking too much. Whatever, whatever ways that your, your longing for God manifests in other directions, whatever the way that shows up, being conformed to the world is not just not doing what the world does. It's allowing ourselves to not be informed first by what the world tells us to believe and how to act and how to be and what is valuable, but to reorient our lives in a way that allows us to begin thinking first about what does God's kingdom orient us towards. And that's extremely difficult for teenagers. And that's why I've given my life for so many years still speaking to teenagers. Is because the world around us, there's so much pressure. It's like a pressure cooker of acceptance. And we want this acceptance and we want to be brought in. But what I've realized, teenagers, let, let me just be very honest with you. I see a few of you I know right here. It's not just you, man. It's your parents too. They just have more money and they can vote and stuff like that. They struggle with peer pressure also. And then if they don't struggle with peer pressure, then they alienate themselves. And so we don't work that out. Most of us don't really know how to engage in a way that is not being conformed by the pattern of this world. 
When we start believing in a, uh, in a savior that we vote for, we're conforming our minds to the pattern of this world. If we think that that legislation is going to really change the hearts of the people, then we're conforming our minds to the pattern of this world. When we think, when we think wrongly about the poor in either direction, we're conforming to the pattern of this world. Conforming to the pattern of this world is having in, uh, information in the way we think formed more by culture, community, upbringing, and beliefs than it is being transformed by the renewing of our mind. I mean, literally. I mean, I've, I've got some opinions about things like Santa and stuff like that that people will break relationship over. And since there's some kids in here, I don't want to you know, bust your bubble. I know you're only 14, so you're, you're waiting for the fat guy with presents. But, but in that mindset, it's like, it's, that, that's, that's, why can't we sharpen each other? The challenge is, is most disagreements that have been had where people have chosen to leave the church are not disagreements that should break fellowship. Conforming to the world is telling you to take your ball and go home or go someplace else. That's conforming to the pattern of the world. To break relationship, to call it quits, and to move on. That's conforming to the pattern of the world. To believe that you are your ultimate provider and therefore you're not going to be generous because you believe God's going to hold out on you or whatever reason. So you don't, you're not generous with your resources. That's conforming to the pattern of the world. You believe the right way to end abortion is to vote against it and to put it out rather than engaging in some form of foster care or adoption. That's conforming to the pattern of the world. See, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but rather, instead, be transformed. The aim of discipleship is transformation into the likeness and nearness of Christ. It's a changing of our mind and our direction. It's a thinking and doing differently. This begins with worship, saying, Christ, you're worth it. You are most valuable. My life in areas that are not oriented around you need to be reoriented. That's worship. That's the aim of repentance. It's changing your mind and changing your direction. That's why we want to cultivate a culture of repentance that we're not all there yet. I know that even though I have strong opinions about things, I'm not always right. And I understand that it's way easier for me to have opinions about other people over there when I don't engage and have conversation than it is to sit down with an open Bible and an open heart saying, tell me what it's like. Give me some understanding. Let me share my point of view. And for us to wrestle and struggle and disagree and press forward and grow and be refined. To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because we want to know God's will, but until we say, I'm going to strive to be transformed by the renewing of my mind by engaging God's word and engaging in life-giving worship and engaging in community and engaging in mission, until I orient my life around those things, then I'm not going to really know the will of God because God's will is going to look an awful lot, a lot like your will. Until you're positioning yourself to hear from God, to learn from God, to engage with God's people, your will and God's will are going to be very similar. And what you feel a piece about, I just want to tell you as a pastor and a friend, I wouldn't trust it. And this is just a little soapbox just because I can and the elders can turn my mic off or send me on vacation next week. I'm kidding. I don't care if you feel a piece. I don't think God does either sometimes. Jesus was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup away from me. 
but not my will be done, but yours. Drops of blood. He was so strained and so stressed. I'm sorry. He didn't feel a peace in that moment. But he obeyed. I think the peace thing is more conforming to the pattern of this world. Sometimes Christ calls you to the harder thing. If God's always agreeing with you after you read His Word, I'm not sure you're hearing from God. I'm not mad at you, but I'm just saying, hey church, part of us being a church family is encouraging each other to maturity and growth and not being the same. So the first thing I want to draw from this passage is that right worship, it leads to growth. When we are engaging in idolatry, things remain transactional. What I mean is, if this thing is providing for me what I need or want it to provide, then I love it. If it is no longer, then I no longer want it. That's transactional. We see that in marriages. We see that in dating relationships. We see that with car leases. We see that with churches out here. If I don't really love it any longer, I don't feel that warm fuzzy about it, man, it's just, it's more sacrifice and difficult, I'm out. That's transactional. So many people in this area, they make idols out of church. I'm going to go to this place, they're going to make my kid behave, they're going to make me feel better about myself, I'm going to appease my guilt for having a lot of things, I'll give some money, and I'll feel better about me, and then I'll go home, and as soon as I stop feeling better about me, I'll find another place that does, or I'll watch the guy on TV who makes me feel good about me. That's not church. That's going to a ginormous mirror and having it play exactly what you want to feel in here. That's not worship. I don't want to be affirmed in my depression. Fine. Casey, you're struggling right now with the season of depression. You are where you are and we're here with you, but fortunately, by God's grace, you won't have to stay in that place. I know you're feeling anxious, and I know the Word of God says be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, bring your requests to the Lord with gratitude. And then you'll get the peace that surpasses understanding. You're not experiencing that right now. Let me pray over you and for you. Hey, Casey, I know that you're feeling lonely in your position as lead pastor right now, and you feel like that maybe you'd have more friends somewhere else, but guess what, man? God is near to you, and at times He allows all of His leaders to go out in a period of isolation into the wilderness to be remain holy and relating with Him so that you don't create an idol. And so that relationship's withdrawn for a season so that you can find your affections once again in Christ. Hey, maybe you're not feeling connected by God's grace. Some people are not feeling connected because they're not in a community group, and I'm just losing my mind over here. We have 12 community groups. Over half of them don't stink. I mean, that's a win. For a church, I mean, the number one complaint in most church planners I talk to, they're like, yeah, we've got 11 community groups, three are awesome, eight should be old yellered. Taken out back. We have over half that are not bad. It's a miracle of God in a transactional area. We have to be honest, some of our desires for church are idolatrous, not worship. 
I don't want to go to a church where we all look alike and vote alike and agree alike and behave alike and think alike and agree on every theological nuance and can't argue about it and still be friends afterwards. I don't want a place where I can't go misspeak and then be terrified that you're going to take your ball and go home and go somewhere else because you had your feelings hurt because of what you thought you heard. That's not the gospel and that's not worship and that's not church, right? Worship leads to growth and we grow through hard things, not by running from hard things. But idolatry keeps things transactional. Restored worship through Jesus makes it relational. God created mankind to relate with him. Mankind chose sin, which separated them. God then created transactional means in the Old Testament to be reconnected to God, and Christ then came and made the ultimate payment. There has been a transaction. His name is Jesus, so now we can relate to God. And then we can be free to relate with each other. That's where transformation happens. But listen, until we are relating to God through a restored relationship with Jesus, we will not experience any true and lasting growth. We won't experience forgiveness. We won't have any supernatural power to come in and say, you've really wronged me. I release you from that. It'll take time to rebuild trust, but I'm not going to hold that charge against you. I forgive you. That's when God's at work. Some of you are sitting here trying to work towards forgiving. You're working harder to forgive, and it's not working. As the prophetess Carrie Underwood says, you need to say, Jesus, I don't even have to say it. <laughs> Texas, America. My OCD friends are like, take the will, take the will. Right, okay, there, get it out, all right? You had to, get, you had to finish the, the phrase. God creates us for relationship. He restores us through Christ for relationship. The right relationship with God then leans us towards right relationship with each other. That is part of worship. Part of worship is fighting through hard seasons and thinking differently and owning our sin because Christ has taken ownership of it. And if Christ has taken ownership of it, we can then come boldly to the throne of grace in our brokenness, with our warts and our faults. Because right worship ultimately leads to growth. The second thing is spiritual growth is marked by transformation, not information. It doesn't say it on the slide. I'm going to make you write it down. Spiritual growth isn't just formed by gaining more information. I know plenty of people who know the Bible way better than all of you who don't love Jesus or each other. It's not that I don't want you to have facts and understanding and growth. I'm always telling you, read your Bibles, read your Bibles, read your Bibles. If you have time, then read some good books about the Bible that makes you want to read the Bible more. I'm begging you to know the Bible. I want you to have that information. But true spiritual growth isn't information, it's transformation. I think it's confusing with nostalgia. We meet older people who've been in the church for a long time. They bounce church every three to five years because someone else did something wrong. And basically, they're starting all over again. So they might have a lot of information, but they have no relational ability to engage with people and work through hard things. Guess what? You're a sinner and so am I. We're going to sin against each other. We're going to need grace. We're going to need uh, to forgive and to work through things. That's worship. Working through things and forgiving is worship. Why? Because you're pointing to the one who's forgiven you first. It's worship. Spiritual growth isn't marked just by information, but transformation. And I'm not just talking about behavioral change, but transformation in the way that we view God and the way that we view others. A depth that goes there of hope. It's like a deeper well with fresher water as our soul and our life endures this life that we live. When this begins to happen and we're really beginning to mature spiritually, we see critique and condemnation replaced with curiosity. When we're starting to mature in our faith, we see critique and condemnation be replaced with curiosity. 
Man, it's an interesting position. I'd love to hear more of how you came to that point. I hope you're aware you sound like an idiot, but I'd love to hear why. No, that's not the right way to do it. But as we're growing in maturity, someone's thought or belief about God, even if it's wrong, doesn't really shake us as much when we're anchored in the truth of God's Word because God is unshakable and He doesn't change. And so we don't become this huge, insecure person. We engage and we ask more questions. When we find out someone is upset with us and they don't want to talk about it, we go to them and say, look, take as much time as you need. But for whatever reason, we're not okay. And I'm committed to us becoming okay. That's spiritual growth. So just taking your ball and going home. We replace critique and condemnation with curiosity. Transformation begins with a change in thought which then leads to a change in practice. Transformation begins with a change of mind, a transformation of mind. And from that place, we'll start seeing lives live differently. I think so so many years the church has gone about changing behaviors. But really the gospel is first and foremost about changing the heart and then changing the mind and helping us to be free from the things that we love that don't give us life and point us to the one who does. And that's the aim of worship. The third thing is this. A transformed life empowers authentic community. Discipleship that is transformed, the the renewing of this mind, this worship that is changing, that is growing, that is maturing, it, it enables us and empowers us to live into authentic community. And next week, I'm going to unpack more what I mean by authentic community. If we're making disciples in authentic community, then you need to come back next week as I unpack that. I know I've preached that before, but the Lord's been teaching me a lot. And the fact is, I think, I don't know about you, I have a tendency to be more inclined to want to show up when things are going well and then to pull back when they're not. Am I the only one? So I'm the only one, so pray for Pastor Casey. No, I know, I know your stories. We want to engage like, man, I'm doing actually pretty well today. Did my quiet time, said my prayers, and we didn't ask, I'm good. But that week where you're depressed and you just engage in that sin you love again and you're greedy and selfish and doubting God, you pull away and blame other people. That's what Adam did in the garden. He hid and he blamed. I want to say in, in biblical community, worship is saying we're not okay, but I believe God has made it okay. And I engage in community. A transformed life empowers authentic community. I've said this before, I will say it again, this is not new. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I want you to understand one of the greatest forms of poverty that I see in our area is relational poverty. We're so wrapped up in our transactional lifestyle that we don't know how to relate. One of the greatest epidemics that we see in our country is the loneliness of men in the middle age. Because we were never taught how to relate. I counsel so many married couples who are lonely in their marriage. I mean, they interact and they relate and they do date night and they're supposed to do those things, but they don't feel like they're really connecting. Well, part of that is until you really connect with the the author of relationship, you're not going to connect with another human in a healthy way. Until you're ready to go and be vulnerable before a holy God and say, I have failed and I have sinned, but I accept and receive the forgiveness that you've purchased for me. I'm grateful for it. Change my heart and change my mind. Until that happens, you're never going to be able to relate with each other. And that's one of the reasons we planted the gospel in the Woodlands Magnolia area. It's the reason we beat the drum of community, not because it's easy, because it's not. But because we believe Jesus calls us out of isolation, and out of darkness, into light, 
and into community. And we fall forward together. When we are engaged in things that God is for, we're then able to engage in true relationships. So I want to talk briefly about three truths about transformation and I'll be done this morning. I know we're going a little late today, but I've been waiting a month to start the series. So it's been percolating. Three truths about transformation. Number one, this is a promise of the gospel. If you're truly born again, you will change. You will be different. I know you half glass empty folks in the room are like, well, I'm not that different. Right. I understand. Number two, it takes time. Takes time, takes a long time. That's why if you're jumping from church to church every three years, you're never really going to mature. I understand your work makes you do that sometimes, but if, if you're always bouncing from church to church, you're never going to be called to more of Christ. You're not, never going to give the opportunity to be wounded deeply and forgiven greatly. You're never going to walk with Jesus in the way he invites us to. Philippians 3, if you want to be encouraged about what it looks like to really want to know Christ, Paul, after he was saved with the equivalent of a PhD in Jewish theology, was then put on hold for 17 years before he initiated his first missionary journey. So if the Apostle Paul, who wrote a bulk of our New Testament, was put on hold for 17 total years, then maybe you're impatient. The number one thing I realize when people leave this church is we've done some stuff wrong. I've said some idiotic things that I didn't mean, but they were taken wrong over the years. I've made tons of mistakes. If you want to know them, I'll buy you a cup of coffee and share some stories about how I've made a mess of things. But most of the time when people leave, they're impatient. We don't have this yet for the kids. We don't have this. My kid's in second grade. What are you going to do for seventh graders? I'm like, that's five years. But it's impatience. Transformation is a promise of the gospel. Number two is it takes time. And, and that's why community is important because we can't always see it ourselves. Steph and I were meeting with a pastor friend of ours named Jim the other day. And he said, man, he's been walking with us for about three or four years. He says, man, y'all have come a long way. And how you're relating with each other and working together and doing all these different things. And we, we kind of sense that now. But when he starts reflecting with us on the ways that we've changed, it's really life-giving. And I think that's the goal of being with people for an extended period of time isn't just to congratulate each other for how good we could be, but rather come back and forth and confront sin, repent of it, and then celebrate growth and transformation. It takes time. And number three, it's often messy. Amen? Transformation is messy. That's Hudson's Houston way of amen. I love it. Bring it! I mean, that's, it's messy. I have a friend when he marries a couple... He says, you may now kiss husband and wife, and then on their way out, he says, you're about to go sleep with a stranger. On their way out. That's what he says to them. Share a bed, sleep. Because they don't really know each other the way that they will know each other after a few years. And the first few years, usually a marriage of two selfish human beings who are daily dying to themselves, or need to, is a tragic train wreck over the first few years. So we're like, our first year was great. You probably had great premarital counseling. <laughs> but transformation is often messy. It's often difficult. It often takes time. There's often that sense of we're taking two steps forward and two steps back. And I'm committed to walking through that mess. 
I'm committing with you to put on a tarp of grace and saying, let's go in it together. I'm committed to having hard conversations like, Casey, why are y'all butter churning homeschoolers? You think you're better than everybody else? No. We have like 85 different reasons of why we wrestled with it and, and struggle with it. And we like, don't make our kid a weirdo, God. Like those type of things. But we can have those conversations. I'm a horrible mind reader, but I'll shoot straight with you. The sad thing for me is when people get upset or frustrated by assumptions they've made that they've never been willing to talk about, that, that's an impossible scenario. Or when people fulfill or finish stories in incorrect manners, but their pride permits them to only answer it in the way that they've done it. That's not honoring to God, and that's not honoring to each other. As we're making disciples in authentic community, we want to be a group of people that are not, that are not coming in trying to strive for perfection so we look better to the world we come together gathering around the perfect one and giving him the worth he's due and that he's valued and through our worship of God and alignment of our life towards him and to him that is evangelistic in itself so that when we open our mouth to share the good news things make sense I never planted Christ Community Church to be the largest church in the area I planted Christ Community Church because our church our area surprisingly needs more churches Within a five-mile radius of this area right here, within the next five years, there will be over 125,000 people. If we're able to reach just 1%, that's 1,250 people. Over 30% don't identify with any spiritual upbringing or background. We planted Christ Community Church more for those folks than for you guys. When we planted this church, we're saying, hey, come be equipped and trained on how to actually be a neighbor, have relationships, share the gospel in a way that's not like weirdo fest, and then see God do powerful things. That's what we're doing here. I'm broken for the loss in our community. It breaks my heart that daily people are dying and separated from God. It, it, it bothers me that marriages are falling apart just because they both feel so lonely and the idolatry of marriage is failing them and the idea of church is going to be entertained rather than challenged and encouraged to grow. I can't stand for that. We didn't start and plant, and we're not going to continue Christ Community Church for the sake of just building our name. We're here because of the name of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, the promise of Christ, and the impending return of Christ. We are C3. We're not Casey's church. We're not the elder's church. We're not your church. Or my. It's, we are God's church that he has called for this season and time and called us Christ Community Church, and we became lazy along the way and called C3. And we're going to give ourselves to making disciples in authentic community. We're not there yet, but that's where we're going. I hope you're with me. I hope you're with us. Let's pray.